Oh, hey, Rebels. Bet you were expecting Ezra Levant, weren't you? Because this is the Ezra Levant Show. However, I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and I'm filling in for my boss today on the big show. Now, today, I have exclusive access to information documents to show you. They're from the Public Health Agency of Canada, and they show the direct political meddling from the federal health minister's office who intervened to make sure that the Public Health Agency of Canada was pushing for masking of the general public when the Public Health Agency said it was completely unnecessary. And in fact, they admit they had really no evidence to be doing this. It was all political. And this kind of explains all that flip-flopping that Theresa Tam did on masks way back in March and April of 2020 now, doesn't it? Then we're going to meet Rebel's newest reporter, Juan Mendoza-Diaz. He is going to be based in Florida. Right now he's in Laredo, Texas, and he just made a trip to the southern border to document the migrant crisis. And what he captured was appalling, and it is fueled by bad Democrat policy, and it is an absolute humanitarian crisis that's already unfolding and it's going to get much, much worse. Now, if you like listening to the show, I promise you're going to love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our long-form TV-style shows here on Rebel News. You get access to Ezra's show. It's nightly, fully produced Ezra Levant show. You also get access to my weekly show the gun show you get access to david menzies fun friday night show rebel roundup and andrew chapados's show andrew says and cat and nat's show misunderstood for all of that it's just eight bucks a month i should tell you we added two shows but never upped the price because here at rebel news we're helping your family fight inflation if you want to be a subscriber to rebel news plus and i encourage you to do so it's one of those great ways where you can support the work that we do and get a little something for yourself too just go to rebelnewsplus.com and subscribe today. And just for the podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new Rebel News Plus subscription by using the coupon code podcast when you subscribe. I think that's it. Now, please enjoy this free audio only version of Ezra's show. Tonight, shocking evidence in black and white that the federal health minister's office politically influenced the Public Health Agency of Canada to promote face masking. Then, our newest rebel, Juan Mendoza-Diaz, on his trip to investigate the migrant crisis on America's southern border. It's April 28th, 2022. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, but you are watching The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. You know, nobody really seems to know where the six-foot rule came from, that one that they used to stop the spread of COVID and you have to stand on stickers in the grocery store. Well, largely the same thing also goes with masks. It seems to be something somebody asked for once and then the TV doctors went all in 
Evidence be damned. Mass mandates are all part of the political theater that placates the TV-fed COVID hysteria of a certain hypochondriac subsection of the Canadian population. And it makes politicians and health bureaucrats who are making these rules seem like benevolent saviors taking steps to save us all. But that's not just my well-formed theory after watching, oh, about two years of a patchwork quilt of COVID rules where mask mandate regions fared roughly the same as saner regions, which didn't force the public into paper and cloth face regalia. The Ontario government knew this too, as this little-known analysis the government did on an earlier Danish study admits. Look at this. The authors concluded that recommendations to wear surgical masks to supplement other public health measures did not significantly reduce the SARS-CoV-2 infection rate among wearers by more than 50% in a community with a modest 2% infection rate beyond other public health measures. So... That's 50% of 2%, just to be clear. There's also this damning line in there. Face masks likely offer little to no protection to the average wearer. You see, the people imposing the masks on us, they knew that too. And I can show you that in today's exclusive access to information documents from the Public Health Agency of Canada from April 2020, right as all that masking hysteria set in. These sorts of investigations are made possible through your support at our special website, rebelinvestigates.com. So thank you to all of you who make this important work possible. Now, the fact that evidence never supported masking and the public health agency knew it from the very beginning certainly explains all the flip-flopping done by Dr. Teresa Tam, the chief medical officer of health for the entire country and the one person tasked with making Canada resilient to a pandemic. She first went from no masks because you people just don't know how to use them on March 28th, 2022. Wear a mask if you're sick, but only if you're sick just three days later. Putting a mask on a asymptomatic person um, is not beneficial, obviously, if you're not infected. If you have close contact of a case and uh, under certain circumstances, uh, especially you'll also be in self-isolation, by the way, if you're close contact of a case, um, and you also need to move for any essential reason, that's uh, perhaps another um, um, situation. Um, what we worry about is actually the potential um, negative aspects of wearing masks. To wear a mask all the time, to wear a mask during coitus, remember that too. You better wear a triple ply surgical mask if you want to breathe the air at all to never take a mask off and get your 10th booster, no matter what anybody tells you to do. Anyway, let's get into these exclusive documents. Page one confirms the Minister of Health's office is directly involved in writing the masking rules. It's political. Look at this. Based on discussion this morning and comments received from the minister's office, I have modified the document to make clear the community setting elements and the workplace relevant elements. I don't think any content was removed, although some bits have been reworded, of course, over the past several versions with the minister's office. Page 74, we can see the public health agency just copying UK advice just because. We took a final review and added in language from UK references shared by Marina on masks that Barb is also supportive of using. Ah, science. Both commercially available and homemade cloth masks and medical masks can play a role. That's from the UK doc. Face masks, including homemade cloth masks, can reduce viral transmission. Benefits of use increase where risk exposure is high and are marginal where it is low. That's from the UK doc. They aren't doing their own research, you see. We're paying these people a lot of money to just follow the leader while they were badgering us with the mantra of follow the science. 
page 80 and 81, we see an email from Health Minister Patty Hydus, chief of staff, further showing the political involvement in creating masking rules, except, of course, the document is heavily redacted. Page 90 is really the smoking gun in writing. Even they know there is little evidence that masks work, but they want them. So they just impose them. Look at this. Evidence for non-medical masks is limited in quantity and quality. On page 91, they acknowledge masking kids is useless too. Regardless of mask type, children were less well protected. And that the benefits of cloth masks were insignificant against airborne viruses. They actually use the word marginal here. Page 94, it's an email exchange with Dr. Theresa Tam, the Public Health Agency of Canada, does not want to provide masking guidance, but is being pushed for it by the government. The first email to Tam from a public health bureaucrat. Look at this. Need to figure out if we are going to do something more than what's on our and Health Canada's website at this point. There is a real appetite for us to do so to provide clarity, not just to the general public, but also for essential workers. And the reply from Teresa Tam, we have no plans on providing guidance to the questions below, but it looks like Government of Canada and other government departments want us to provide further guidance for certain settings, for example, airport or federal employees who are unable to physically distance from others for a brief time. We also know that there is a discussion on mask use for essential service workers, for example, truckers. But in the end, Tam did capitulate to political pressure, didn't she? You see, Tam is a politician at this point, not a health officer. There was no science involved here. In fact, she earlier admitted there was very little evidence for masking the general public, but her political masters wanted it. So she did what was best for them, the politicians and not the public for whom she is supposed to work. Will we ever truly know the extent of how mishandled and political the pandemic was? I'm not sure, but you know I'm going to try. We can't count on liberal appointed friendly judges to get to the bottom of anything. We're going to have to dig this up for ourselves. Now, I'm going to keep filing for access to information, but I need your help to do it. We rely on the support of the Canadian public to get this work done. So... If you'd like to offset our investigation costs, please visit rebelinvestigates.com and the relevant documents I receive back, I'll be sure to publish them because they're your documents too. Stay with us. More up next after the break. Canadians at working at a Canadian network, we focus a lot on the border crisis unfolding here in Canada, particularly at Quebec's Roxham Road. But the migrants illegally crossing into Canada at Roxham Road, they aren't originating in the United States. In fact, they're using the United States as a bit of a pass through before they get to Canada. And so to deal with the crisis where it's starting and to report on some of the major issues in the southern states in Texas and in Florida, we've elicited a brand new reporter. We've got Juan Mendoza Diaz, and he's our new reporter based in Florida, and he just came back from Texas. Uh, Juan, tell us a little bit about your trip to the border. Um, as a Canadian, it was really shocking to see just the ecological carnage uh, unfolding at the border. I mean, where is the Sierra Club or Greenpeace or the environmentalists on this? We know they don't care about people, but maybe they could care about the land for a second. Well, uh, I mean, 
a lot of the of the clothes that get left off there or items that just get littered, that's nothing new around the southern border since the border crisis started. I mean, that's just an Eagle Pass, one of the main crossing points that we've seen people cross illegally. I've been doing work covering the whole southern border from the Yuma sector to uh, Del Rio sector, which is where Eagle Pass is located, to the RGB sector. And you'll see similar stuff throughout the southern border where there's all these signs of people crossing illegally and they'll drop off their wet clothes. And I mean, they just come in massive numbers that, uh, I mean, it just creates an ecological uh, disaster too in that area. Now, in Eagle Pass, there was uh, a recent amount of crossings that have actually gone up there. And um, uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy actually hosted a congressional delegation where many members of Congress in the United States went in to get more information from U.S. Border Patrol about how just the area is being impacted there with the, uh, because of the border crisis that has started since the Biden administration took office and essentially impl implemented their open borders policies, welcoming people or encouraging people to go through the border illegally. Now, I should go back a little. Um, I said you're Florida-based. You will be Florida-based. Right now, you're in Laredo, Texas, um, although you say it a little bit more fun than I do. Uh, so uh, tell me about the impact of illegal border crossing on these small Texas communities. You even spoke to some locals in Eagle Pass. Well, their main concern is just that, uh, I mean, with all this, uh, with the, all the increased amounts of uh, illegal border crossings that's happening, the main problem is that they're concerned that they're, the cartels are being empowered. I mean, human trafficking now is the most profitable thing that organized crime groups are having here since they can uh, make million. I mean, they're making about 15 to 16 million dollars a day alone on human trafficking. And uh, I mean, a lot of that ends up just a lot of the people that come into the United States, a lot of horrible things happen to them uh, as they cross illegally. They get they get raped by these human smugglers. They get killed. They get extorted and pretty much held hostage in a stash house while they're uh, while the human smugglers are trying to extort the family to pay more money or else they're going to kill them. Um, so my reporting, I mean, it's just showing that a lot of the people have been concerned because they can result in the increased crime or the increased power of organized crime groups that have been in the United States already for some time. But with since the Biden administration took office, they've just been having a field day and just making a lot of money off of this just humanitarian crisis that has been started by President Biden's rhetoric. Uh, you know, you really did some great work from Eagle Pass. You spoke to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, U.S. Congresswoman who said that Joe Biden is the cartel's best friend. Um, and it's pretty clear there's I mean, there's you were encountering people crossing right there, right in front of you. No fear, just crossing. I, I mean, it, it's akin to something we see at the Canadian border. Um, and many of those people do ultimately end up at the Canadian border. And I think that's where the Canadian interest in this story is. But it's also a human interest story in that I think an open border. I, I'm not coining this phrase. I've heard somebody say it. An open border is an inhumane border because it gives the cartels the market they need. And um, it's 
you know, again, I ask where the Sierra Club is, but where are the feminists when we see that women are being sold into sex trafficking uh, by the cartels and being trafficked into the country and you don't have a feminist anywhere to be seen advocating for these um, underprivileged women and usually they can't shut up about that. Well, yeah, and I mean, like I say, one of the biggest uh, crimes I've seen that's happened with people crossing illegally is that a lot of the women, they get raped. And actually, these uh, human smugglers, what they tend to do in lots of occasions that I've gotten uh, photographs from uh, from Border Patrol units that they show us that they tend to uh, find what they call rape trees, which is what the cartel, they uh, rape these women and then they hang their undergarments, almost like a sick form of trophy for the sexual crimes that they did. Oh, it just, it sickens me. Uh, but there's also another level here where this, the open border is helping fuel the drug crisis and the overdose crisis in communities. I know that, um, I think it was a Texas border guard. Um, he drowned, re thinking he was rescuing migrants, but as it turns out, the two people, he drowned, gave his life, going into the river to save were drug traffickers and those drugs are intended to poison people in american communities yeah i mean like i said it's not just the increase of uh, illegal crossings from uh, human trafficking that's being uh, hit with the country right now i mean it's also just narcotics like you said there's record high levels of all kinds of narcotics being uh, trafficked through the u.s border especially fentanyl which is being moved and fentanyl has been one of the biggest killers for people in the United States, there's a fentanyl epidemic happening here in this country. Well, and unfortunately, I think it's your work and your reporting from the border. You're going to have to do a lot of it because as the Democrats wrestle with Title 42, repealing the law that basically prohibits people from coming into the country, if they may pose a risk to the country because of a communicable disease, um, the Democrats are currently wrestling with repealing that and that is just going to cause a flood of people coming across the border because that really seems to be the only thing that's holding so many of them back. Exactly. I mean, luckily, the federal court uh, struck down uh, the administration's um, order to repeal Title 42 on May 23rd. And I was talking with CBP units and even NGOs that were concerned that they would be overwhelmed once Title 42 would be repealed because they've already been seeing record numbers. Fiscal year 2022, there's already been over a million uh, encounters of illegal migrants at the southern border and it's april yeah <laughs> and i mean their fiscal year it goes all the way to september 30th and i mean they're thinking it's going to surpass last year's uh last fiscal year's uh, amount of crossings and last year's was a record high and we're not even halfway through the year and it's already over a million i just it makes me concerned for american communities because these people end up somewhere in American communities and are they equipped to deal with it? I don't think so. Um, Juan, tell us where people can support your work because I think your work is so important and it does have implications for Canadians, but also for just normal Americans. Um, all of this impacts their communities, be it through human trafficking, sex trafficking, narcotics coming across the border, or the expectation that um, migrants have to be resettled and communities don't have the resources to deal with Biden's bad decisions. Uh, tell us how we can support your work. Well, uh, definitely, uh, you guys can support me through uh, going through uh, Rebel Media. 
uh, and as well, if you guys want to get more uh, more looks at what my current updates with the border situation is when I'm on the ground, you can check me out on Instagram and Twitter at Juan More News. I usually provide quick updates on my Twitter there, and uh, I also post uh, videos once I have all the reports done there as well on Instagram. And of course, like I said, you can go to rebelborderreports.com to be able to help us finance these trips. Well, Juan, I appreciate your work there. I know that, um, you know, you have some experience doing this, but boy, when you went to the border, you hit the ground running. You were talking to congressmen, you were catching migrants as they crossed the border. I mean, there's just so much news there. And I think you're going to be a very busy guy in the very near future. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Sheila. I can't wait to see what Juan does next. Stay with us. Your letters up next after the break. You know, I can't wait to see what Juan does next. And I think there's just so much news coming out of Texas with the border crisis and with Governor Abbott shipping the migrants up to Democrat-run cities. And in Florida, with Governor Ron DeSantis being the leading warrior in the culture war, but also I think he's sort of the leader of the conservative movement, not just in the United States, but I think kind of. In the free world, and I know that Juan is probably going to have a very good problem in that he will probably wake up every single day, not wondering, whoa, what am I going to do today? But how do I get to all the things that I want to do today? Because there's just so much news coming out of the southern states. And I know he's going to do a great job covering it. If you'd like to see and support Juan's work from the border, please visit Rebel Border Reports. Com. Now, this is a part of the show where Ezra reads his hate mail, fan mail, letters, queries, comments. So I will do that too, since I'm filling in and it's his show. These comments or letters are not directed at me and they do not reflect the opinions of your usual host. This is just me. So I'll read a few of them and then wrap up the show. So the first letter is from Paul McCullough who says, I don't trust any news media company that takes government handouts. Anything they say or print is tainted. Yeah. I mean, how could you trust CBC's reporting of Justin Trudeau when they live and die on Justin Trudeau's affections for them? Likewise with the mainstream media. If he cuts the subsidies to them, then they have to experience layoffs. And so naturally, people are going to say nice things about the prime minister because he's their boss at the end of the day. Now, luckily here at Rebel News, we are fiercely independent. We are really beholden to no one except the people who help us pay the bills and help fund our journalism. And we know when you are interested in a story because we immediately hear from you, unlike the mainstream media who, you know, they're happy to take your money, but all their comments sections are closed. Now, we also take uh, tweets sometimes and read those too. So these are replies to Ezra's tweets. I don't even know what tweet you're replying to, but producer Olivia assures me that this is a great comment. Shanna Millett replies that the virus was here in the fall of 2019. I had the symptoms, loss of taste and smell, couldn't concentrate, and no energy. Everyone in my area was sick with something. The doctors said it was a virus that mimicked as an allergy. 
you know, there is some evidence to the fact that the coronavirus was in North America far sooner than officially determined. But I think there's another issue at play here. You're just guessing about whether or not you had the coronavirus. And I know that at least here in Alberta, I don't know what it's like in the other provinces, you will have to continue guessing unless you are able to pay out of pocket for a readily available antibody test. And I did that for a time until I was able to take a T-cell test to see if I was naturally immune. And uh, I, I think that's a great shame. But I think there's a reason for that. The government doesn't want you to know if you're naturally immune to the virus uh, because they just want you to get a vaccine. That's the only way they've decided that we were to ever get out of the pandemic. Whether or not you needed that vaccine was not a concern. And I, I know for myself, I think for the antibody testing, it was close to $200 and the T-cell testing, um, that was, I think it was approaching $400 to get that testing. And again, I say this is readily available, but if you try to get that test in Alberta, the government will block your doctor from ordering it and make sure the lab never does it. It's a real shame. Jay Stalker, 808, responds to Ezra's tweet. My kids refuse to take off their masks at school. I asked them why, assuming it was out of fear of COVID-19. Both answered succinctly, I just don't want people to see my face. <sighs> Masking up now has become a result of social and identity anxiety brought on by the years-long mandates. You know, that's such a terrible shame. There's a whole subsection of children who are just so scared by the things their teachers and the TV tell them that they're scared to take off their masks, even though they don't have to wear them anymore. And there are other ones who have spent two full years of their formative years as forced agoraphobics, scared of crowds, scared of human contact and preventing people from seeing their faces. And it is my great worry that the damage done to a generation of youth may never be healed. And, you know, thankfully there were parents out there who did their best to advocate for their kids, but so many just went along because it was the path of least resistance. And I'm just, I'm so worried. On that dark note, uh, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for allowing me to fill in. Thank you to everybody in the office who will ultimately put together all the random video files. I plan to send them into a watchable show for our viewers and subscribers at home. I think it'll be Ezra back in the chair tomorrow. And as Ezra says, I think I'll use his tagline today. Keep fighting for freedom. Tamara Ugolini here with Rebel News, pointing out the doomsday generators throughout Canada's legacy media parties. They have shared this outlandish new study. From Global News to the National Post to CTV News and the Globe and Mail, and I think you get the picture. This study was headline news on April 25th that the unvaccinated are apparently the ones responsible for spreading COVID infection among the vaccinated. It's basically how you tell people that their vaccines don't work without outright telling them that their vaccines don't work. The main proponents of this hogwash is none other than Professor of Epidemiology at the University of Toronto's Dalai Lana School of Public Health, 
David Fisman. He is a now resigned member of the Ontario Science Table, that's the OST, who has declared conflicts of interest that came as a head as early as January 2021, when he was found to be lobbying the government against school reopenings and simultaneously being paid by a massive teachers union, the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. A few months later, he resigned from his position at the OST as his unnecessarily alarming model predictions became increasingly ignored as they were repeatedly incorrect. Prior to his resignation, some of his declared conflicts of interest with the OST included that he received direct funding from Pfizer, AstraZeneca, the Ontario Nurses Association, etc. A quick recap into Fisman. In May of 2020, the Globe and Mail reported a direct quote from him that he hadn't hugged his kids since mid-March. Denying your children physical contact for over two months is basically a recipe for sociopathic behavior. He contributes to more COVID collectivism under this direct quote that the conclusion is that public health is something you have to do collectively. He's part of the COVID zero dogmatists, a theory that was never scientifically possible as evidenced by his fanatical tweets, such as this one a mere year ago, where he calls on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and then Minister of Health Paddy Hadju to pursue COVID zero at a national level. That link, the petition, called for an explicit goal of COVID elimination as though draconian measures could completely eradicate a seasonal respiratory virus. COVID zero extremists advocated for the devastation that we now know as lockdowns, forced supervised isolation, quarantine, contact tracing, and unscientific testing, and one of the worst pandemic responses, school closures. So you get the picture as to who uh, David Fisman and what kind of person that this is that drives this wedge between Canadians making medical choices for themselves. This study, again, authored by David Fisman and amplified by mainstreamists, was published in the Canadian Medical Association Journal, also known as CMAJ, titled Population Mixing Between Vaccinated and Unvaccinated Subpopulations on Infectious Disease Dynamics, Implications for SARS-CoV-2 Transmission. The study, study, sought to explore the impact of mixing of unvaccinated and vaccinated populations on risk of SARS-CoV-2 infection among vaccinated people. So basically, they developed a hypothesis and then developed a computer model to prove it. Under methods, you can see that they constructed a simple compartmental model and simulated a spectrum of patterns. So this is all assumption-based and is basically just a big pretend play simulation being espoused as hard data. It's not even a study. It's a modeling prediction, and it is junk science based on the lowest level of evidence as per the hierarchy of evidence. And these people seem to be doing just fine. That is, if you look at the real-world, real-time data coming out instead of this subjective fantasy model. If you look at the data out of Ontario, those receiving their fourth COVID injection are dying at a greater rate than the unvaccinated when population is adjusted for per 100,000 people. This comes, yes, from an anonymous Twitter account, but he sources all of his work directly from Ontario Public Health data using these links. 
The first is the surveillance report on vaccine uptake. And the second are confirmed cases of COVID-19 following vaccination report. It's important here to note that, for instance, on page four of that second report, unvaccinated are defined as those that received the first dose of a two-dose series within zero to 13 days of their onset and are not yet protected from vaccination. So if you are within 13 days of your first dose and hospitalized and or die, then you're marked as unvaccinated. Isn't that an interesting way to potentially tamper with the data? It's as though Fisman believes that the green line, you know, those who have received a remarkable three COVID injections, though that green line is apparently caused by the purple line, those not fully vaccinated, i.e. the unvaccinated, and those within 13 days of their first dose. So why is the media continuing to amplify this dangerous rhetoric. I guess it's no surprise given the front page of the Toronto Star in August 2021 when they published this disgusting piece of print and a few months later tried to say that it's the unvaccinated who are abusive, hateful, and obnoxious. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> There's enough data now to do a proper scientific research and meet that highest level of evidence, a systemic review. It's time to ignore these fraudulent science people who and ignore their faulty modeling predictions by Feisman et al. and push for a proper systemic review of the evidence and the data. For Rebel News, I'm Tamara Ugolini.